Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Jennifer Voorhees, who is a GP in Thameside and an NIHR academic clinical lecturer based at the University of Manchester. Jennifer has done a lot of work around access to general practice, and today we're going to discuss a paper she's published here in the BJGP titled A Paradox of Access Problems in General Practice, a Qualitative Participatory Case Study. So thanks, Jennifer, for joining me here today. And also, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed your workshop at the recent Royal College of GPs annual conference on this topic. You've done a lot of work around access to general practice. I wonder if you could just start by talking us through some of the problems around access to care in general practice. And how does this tie in with health inequalities? Sure. So access to general practice in the UK has an interesting history. It's been a focus of policy in different ways for a long time. But for better or for worse, a lot of the policy, given maybe the political circumstances at the time and the need to kind of measure and and quantify things sometimes, has led to quite a superficial understanding of access itself and the things that people do to address access. It's often easy to make a, a time target of 48 hours or two weeks or something like that, as opposed to maybe getting at some of the deeper issues. And what we get into in in this paper are some of the consequences of that slightly possibly shallower approach and some of the unintended consequences of undermining continuity, which sadly has happened because of this superficial way access has been portrayed. The patients and the providers, we found, know that um, there's a lot of complex issues and a lot of patients uh, out there with needs that are just going unmet because of how complicated the system's gotten. So we're trying to draw attention to that and remind people of the people being left out. And as you said, that's sort of how we link it to health inequalities, because that's where the health inequalities are sitting with the people who are unable to access the very first point of care in the whole system. And you talk a lot in this paper about access as human fit. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that was um, the first paper that um, came out of this research. So this research was primarily for my PhD. And uh, essentially what we did is we very purposely looked at the research literature, found that there were um, very comprehensive definitions of access that have been very well thought through over the year that talked about different dimensions of access and talked about access in a dynamic way, this interaction or fit between the two sides. And we specifically applied uh, Levesque's theory of patient-centered access in our research. But what we sort of came out with after not only trying to understand the problems of access, which what this paper was about, is that we sort of um, came to add on to Levesque's theory and make it even more about the two people on both sides. And that's where the human fit comes in, because it's not about fitting with the system as if that's some thing. It's about literally having a conversation with a receptionist who either knows you or not, or you know or not, about an appointment or an interaction of some sort with a clinician who you either know who that is or not, and, and they know who you are or not. And that's what it comes down to. It comes down to an interaction between two people. And you can think of that as two individual peoples, or you can think of it as the entire healthcare workforce in the nation and the entire population of the nation. And is the fit right at every sort of level in between those two things? We think that should be 
the way access is thought about in policy and in practice, we would end up with something different than what we have now, which is sort of some really longstanding issues of inequity of access within the NHS that have kind of been ignored because everything's been so overwhelmed. Hmm, I think that's a really relatable way of thinking about access. So really interesting spin on things. Um, and it makes complete sense really to make it about people rather than the system. Um, and this was a qualitative case study of access to general practice. But tell us a little bit about what you did here in terms of how you ran this study. Yeah, so uh, primarily it was about trying to capture people's real perspectives and real world experiences. So we uh, did interviews and focus groups with both patients and carers and clinicians, as well as other members of staff. And we did a lot of observation, primarily in surgery reception areas, to see the work of the receptionists which is such an important role and their insights are, are are so great into these problems. And yet it's a difficult role, particularly given some of the rules that have been sort of imposed on that real pinch point of access. So the, the observation, so, you know, ethnography was a real um, important aspect of the, of the qualitative research. In addition to the interviews and focus groups, we were able to sort of get people's perspectives in the moment, as well as kind of longer you know, reflective perspectives. Mm, so really in-depth study of access in, in these different practices. And your findings highlight access problems as a paradox of demand and unmet needs. And let's talk through this a little bit. And in the paper, you present a figure that shows all this really nicely in a visual format. Um, but I guess the demand on general practice was had a big focus on access. Um, so could you start talking us through some of these results, just starting from the top? Yeah, so I think everyone sort of knows that uh, there's a lot of demand on general practice. It's sort of in the, in the news and, and we feel it as, as people who work in the system and patients feel it because they have trouble getting in sometimes, et cetera. So we kind of talk about that issue of demand <clears throat> and how it kind of dominates. And by dominating and always being the focus, we say that it actually paradoxically hides this issue of unmet need. And it also perpetuates it because it's it's the rules that come out of focusing on the demand and saying, oh, we need to fend off some of that demand. We need to control it a bit that that actually makes things more complicated. So there's different aspects of the rules and processes we've put in place to access care that put certain people off. And then there's the fact that lots of those rules, as I've mentioned, they tend to undermine continuity because in place of, of uh, an access you know, policy previously, if you make everybody have to have an appointment within 48 hours, um, that means that everybody's trying to call. And by definition, the idea that you could get it with a person who you choose become has become somewhat of you know a privilege as opposed to just part of the general accessing care. So people who prefer to know who they're going to be seeing or their known clinicians left and it's never been replaced with anybody who seems to know them anymore. And then we find that the undermining of continuity leads to just a lot of inefficiencies, a lot of extra work on patients' parts to try to get that continuity and being told no day after day until they could finally get in with the person they want, as well as uh, lots of inefficiencies on the staff side. And again, that just takes up time on really a lot of hidden work, pushing a lot of that work to the next day, which some of the policies recently have tried to say, you can't tell anybody to call back tomorrow. But unless you sort of understand why that's happening and unwind it a bit, then that doesn't necessarily solve the issue. 
Um, but definitely telling them to call back tomorrow just puts their work on tomorrow and adds that feeling of demand. So you feel like you're overwhelmed with demand, but you've actually pushed it to the next day by sort of not dealing with it appropriately on the day. So that's that's the paradox. And the good news is there are lots of inefficiencies to address in that, and particularly reprioritizing continuity within the space of access of general practice, we think is a is a step towards starting to address these particular issues of, of inequity of access that lead to health inequalities. It's really interesting that you talk about access and continuity because a lot of people who say that continuity isn't achievable talk about the focus on access and how that limits their ability to provide continuity because access is incentivized, whereas continuity isn't. But I think what you're saying here about this paradox is that the access problems from lack of continuity actually increase work um, and reduce access. Is that accurate? Do you yes, think? definitely. So I think we can utilize the fact that for better or for worse, access continues to get a lot of attention, but we can change the the attention, what we do to respond in that way, to lead with a more restoring continuity, being proactive for the people with the, the unmet needs, finding them, saying, we, we know you're out there. We want to provide care to you. What can we do differently? Or, you know, there's a number of things that can be done um, in order to, to do something different in the space of access, essentially. Because what, what's been done over years with the numerical targets and just saying more appointments or more GPs or more other alternative roles, the more, 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 you know, it's it's not working. It needs to be something different. It needs to be, you know, we need to do things to make the, the population of GPs and other clinicians and other staff, like the reception staff, continuity is very important, you know, stable workforce and workforce retention issues. That's all part of that inefficiency that's there now, anything that drives turnover is really damaging because when you lose that knowledge of people over decades that lots of clinicians and even uh, admin staff have, um, you lose hours of history taking, you know, by not having that knowledge anymore and not making use of those who have that knowledge of people. And, and you also talked about that practices had often rigid rules for how people could make an appointment. And how did this impact uh, specifically on access? Yeah, so it's very interesting because the, the they had rigid rules, but they were very varied across each individual practice. Everyone was sort of trying things. Um, but once they had once they were trying something, they didn't really feel like they they could allow their reception stuff, let's say, to veer from the rules so much but we're trying to advocate for a bit more when you think of a rule think of who the exceptions are going to be for because we had some examples where exceptions were made and that felt good to everybody but it was done very inconsistently so at some practices if you can easily maybe ask a clinician around an exception then they often would give an exception because they often know the person as a person and have the authority to say yeah i will see them today um, but it shouldn't necessarily be a squeeze in that can, you know, has to go through some process of getting permission from someone else. These things can be anticipated. And in a larger surgery, it was often hard for the reception staff to make an exception because each clinician might have a different opinion about the acceptability of those exceptions. And you wouldn't want to make one and then end up being, you know, 
told later that you shouldn't have done that. And that all gets a bit more complicated with size. And that's another sort of underlying current in all of this is that uh, general practice in this country has gotten quite big, but it hasn't really done that in a way that has preserved continuity in the way that some other countries have managed continuity within large surgeries quite well. So there are some lessons from other countries. I think that the UK could learn about some of that restoring continuity. Mm. So, yeah, you talk a lot about the importance of restoring continuity to reverse this paradox of access problems. But I wonder, aside from continuity, are there any other main take-home messages here for those working in primary care coming out from this research? Yeah, I think um, if we go back to that idea of access as human fit, um, I think the reception staff and the clinicians and the patients, I mean, the patient participation groups and other patients you know, uh, who are willing to help and give their feedback are a great place to start. When people know where there is not a good fit, where the asks of the patients just continually get a no from the rules that have been just kind of randomly put in place by that particular practice. Um, so anywhere where there's not a fit happening, you know, get curious about that, question that. Who, who's being left out? Who are we saying no to in this way? Um, and what are, really, what are the implications of that? And if, if we're constantly saying no to some of the people who are struggling the most with certain health conditions, then, you know, that's something we really need to address and and, and not just sort of continue to do. So I think having curiosity in, in, in staff meetings, and we encourage um, talking about this with a mixed group of different staff and patients, ideally, to really get at how it can be made different um, in order to, to not have those inefficiencies of lack of fit, really, to not have that extra work. Because if, if, if the process of getting care can be made smoother, it frees up the, those working in general practice to maybe do some outreach, which is generally not happening very much, other than some of the uh, invitations and things that are currently incentivized through QOF. Um, and a lot of what's missing, you know, at, at many levels, is just communication around a lot of these changes that have happened. So working with the patient participation group, again, is, is, is a way to get those communication messages right so that people at least know how the practice wants them to, to be in that role of care seeking and to be able to work together on that would be a real improvement. Mm, so I think that's really important that although, you know, we might be looking towards more national incentives or frameworks for increasing things like continuity, perhaps, it's still important to think about the local fit of, for your community in, in practice and thinking about what the local community needs are. So I think that's really great to highlight. Absolutely. I think um, that's been a really interesting discussion just around access and, as you say, some of the inefficiencies that we find in practice and I think has given a lot of practical tips to people listening just about what uh, they might be able to take back to their own practices. So, yeah, that's I think that's a great place to wrap things up. But I just wanted to say thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you for having me. And thank you all very much for your time and for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. It's been great to speak to Jen about this research on a really important issue that ties in a lot of topical areas for policy and research. So thanks again and bye. Bye.